So Mark chapter 4 from verse 21. Also he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And he said, The kingdom of God is is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day. And the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the other seeds on the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to study your word together today, we pray that you would be with us, that you would grow us, that you would shape us, that you would refine us, that we might be challenged and stirred up to good things for, your, for the glory of your name. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we have just read, we're looking at three parables this morning all at once. It's a little bit risky, I think. There's things, uh, elements of detail in each parable that we won't quite be able to get into. It's not something I've attempted to do before, and I really lean on God's counsel as we approach this, as we do every week. But I probably have a greater sense of trembling in my heart than I normally do preaching this morning as we attempt this. Now, before I muddy the waters and make everything unclear, I want to say that These parables are being preached on together by myself this morning because there is a connection from one to the other. And it also connects back to where we were last week with the parable of the sower. Now, I'm not the only person who has had this thought. Matthew Henry, uh, he says that these parables here, these three parables uh, in his abbreviated commentary, they're all uh, discussed in the one section. These three parables call the attention of of the disciples to the words of Christ. And in teaching in the way that he does, I'm paraphrasing a little bit now, Jesus is equipping the disciples to go and teach when it's their turn. They work together. And if the followers of Christ at the time are taught these things together to help them better understand how to teach about Christ, we hope and pray that we would have the same thing happen within us too. That we would adopt the same attitude, that we're not just learning things that we might grow a a library of knowledge in our head, but that we might learn these things so that we might better share them uh, with other Christians and with those who are outside of the church. There's a focus in this parable on 
on growth, on things being revealed, on things being disclosed that were previously closed. There's a focus in these parables on souls being saved, of God's kingdom growing. Now, as great as it is when Christians have kids, something we've seen twice in this church in the last few weeks with Zara and now Jonah, that's a wonderful way of the church being grown, but we also see souls being saved out of darkness as a wonderful way the church grows, God's kingdom grows. The idea of sharing the good news, the idea of sharing the gospel, of sowing seed was something we saw last week and it continues today with the particular second parable. But we do start off, however, with the, uh, this parable of the light under the basket. Now, most of us would know this parable, and honestly, the title alone reveals something crazy about this idea. Why on earth would you put a light under a basket? Why would you put a light under a bed? We don't really need to say a whole heap about that because it just doesn't make sense. It's not the purpose of the object. The expression putting a square peg in a round hole, I've always thought, well, if you dug the round hole big enough, it works. But the expression stands, doesn't it? You're not using it for what it was meant to be used for. Why would you cover up light? It does you no good, it does the people around you no good. In every house that Anna and I have moved to in the last five years, we've heard a disturbance in the night at some point in time. And I've got up during the night being the, the big tough man of the house to go and see what's happening. And I've thought, we've lived here long enough, I don't need to turn the light on. I've had a lot of stubbed toes in that time. The light is wonderful, light reveals. In this parable, Jesus states that obvious truth, that you don't put a lamp under a bed or under a basket. It's like having the opportunity to turn the light switch on and saying, no, it's okay, my personal night vision is great because I've eaten enough carrots. It's not good. It's not how things work. We look at this parable of a lamp being put under a basket or under a bed and we go, that's just a normal, earthly, everyday things that Jesus is talking about there. But as I said last week and when we worked through parables through Luke, parables have eternal, spiritual, heavenly meanings to them. Jesus uses everyday things to bring to, to light eternal truths. Jesus tells in this parable that light should not be hidden because if light is hidden, how can the things that are in be revealed. Nothing that is secret will come to light if we don't shine the light. Last week we saw Jesus reference Isaiah chapter 6, particularly verse 12, where there would be a time, Isaiah prophesied to God's people, of, of not being able to truly hear the words of God, of not being able to truly comprehend the things of God. There will come a time when those things are made known. We look to that stump of the root of Jesse. That is Christ. There is a time of revelation. Jesus is telling us that there is a light to be shone, shone onto those things. We, along with the disciples, may wonder at what that actually means. Is the light really Jesus? Well, think about John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus makes some amazing I am statements, statements of divinity in John's Gospel that John records for us. 
And in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is calling his disciples to teach. Jesus is teaching his disciples to teach. As Christians, we are followers of Christ. We are being taught to teach about Christ here. Christ is the light of the world. How will those things that are hidden, how will those things that have not yet been revealed be found? How will they be revealed if we as Christians refuse to talk about Christ, if we refuse to talk about the light of the world? As Christians, we have this beautiful light revealed to us in Scripture. The temptation can sometimes be, well, it's more comfortable to put the Bible on the shelf. A few years later, we find it completely covered in dust. Maybe we put the Bible on the coffee table as a talking point, but we never quite get to opening it up, let alone talking to other people about it. We have the light of the world. What are we doing with it? These wonderful things that were hidden for a godly purpose will be understood through the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the suffering servant who was sent by his Father to redeem a whole people for God, to ransom souls for God at the cost, at the price of his own blood and his own life. So from verse 24, take heed to what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. It may feel as if we are wasting effort turning our attention to God's word. But the more we turn our attention to God's word, the more we will be given. The more we will grow in righteousness, the more we will grow in holiness, the more God's spirit will teach us and equip us with. We have Jesus. We have the light of the world. Now, this would not be fully revealed to the disciples until after Christ's death and resurrection. We live on the other side of the cross than where these guys currently were. We know that he is the light of the world. So do we shine the light? Do we apply this message of salvation to the people around us? Do we seek to bring to light to people around us, those things that are hidden to them apart from God? Or do we hide it? When your co-workers ask you what you did on the weekend, how do you reply? Did the mowing on Saturday, took the kids to sport or music or whatever else was going on, I went to church on Sunday, and we sort of slip it into the conversation, we move on quickly. How do we talk about what we do as Christians? How do we talk about the God who saved us? How do we bring that message to bear in every opportunity we have? When somebody who we know is going through a time of crisis, do we find the opportunity in that conversation that God has blessed us with? As much as it might feel as if we're taking on a burden, God has blessed us in those times to share that burden with that person. Do we tell them about God's goodness in their circumstance? How the work of our almighty God, the person of our almighty God, meets each and every one of us in our point of need? Do we shine the light of Jesus in a way which shows his compassion and his heart and his love for people? We need to keep asking ourselves, do we bring 
God's light and revelation of himself to mankind to bear in any or all conversations that we have. We should try to do this. And it's not wasted effort. To those who hear, more will be given. To those who use, we'll receive according to the measure of how much we use Christ and the gospel for God's glory. But there is a, a dual incentive given at the end of this first parable. The dual incentive is that we are safe in Christ. We have the light. We have understanding. We have safety for eternity if we understand the fullness of Christ's teaching. That alone should be enough incentive for us to go out and tell everyone and anyone who we can about how amazing God is. But at the end of this first parable we look at, verse 25, for whoever has to him more will be given. That's awesome for the Christian. But whoever does not have, forever whoever does not have God, whoever is not yet saved by God's grace, even what he has, that's talking in terms of worldly possessions, whether it be family, wealth, all sorts of things, whatever he thinks he has, it will be taken away. We love because God first loved us. Do we love enough? To share the good news that people might not have everything taken away. And as I said, we need to ask ourselves this question of are we shining a light? This is a question we need to ask personally. We need to ask this question as a church. Are we as a church shining a light to Everton Park? How visible are we as a church to our community? Not visible in that we just want more numbers and more people sitting in the seats on Sunday morning, but how visible are we in holding out the gospel of grace? As people who are in the world but not of the world, how are we using our light? Are we putting it on a lampstand or is it under the basket or under the bed? We must consider these things because Jesus talks about eternal consequences for these matters. So that's the parable of the basket. And as I said, there's a lot of detail in each of these that we won't quite get to because we're trying to see the, the connection between these parables. But in short, we have heard about the light of the world. We have the light of the world. We have a light to shine, so we should shine it and not hide it. And then we come to these two parables that follow afterwards, which could very legitimately be looked at each on their own, but there's a certain vein of logic that flows from one to the other. And that is continuing to be about how both sharing the gospel builds up the church but also reaches those outside of the church. It starts with this parable of the seed growing. Again, there's a similarity here to the parable we read last week, isn't there? There's a man who goes out into the field. He's got his seed bag with him. He's scattering seed. He's sowing the seed. Now, this week, we don't go into the details about the types of soil that the seed falls onto. There's a difference in the parable there. What happens is the sower goes out, scatters his seed. Remember last week, we were talking about those broad arcs of seed flying through the air? So going everywhere, the gospel just sort of permeating everything around the Christian, everything around the church. It's a wonderful thing to see. 
This is the sower's job. In due season, he goes out and he spreads it. And then he goes to bed. And while he's in bed, he doesn't know how it happens. The seed grows. It comes up and there's an order to this process of growth. You see the, the blade come up and then the rest comes up after it. It's a process of growth. Sower doesn't know how it happens though, does he? But who does? God knows how this happens. God knows. God has an incredible knowledge of all of this. And this furthers our understanding of last week's parable too and the parable just before this as we seek to be both sow the seed, to scatter the seed, to shine the light. They're almost interchangeable the way they use. Just get the gospel out there. Get the good news out there. It looks different for us how we do this, how we shine the light, how we scatter the seed. Maybe we just don't feel like we can have conversations with people because we never seem to find the right words. We can take comfort in the fact that God will give us the word to answer in, 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 the, in, the time, in due course in, in every situation that we find ourselves in. But if we do struggle with talking to people, what about dropping tracks in letterboxes? There was a church I heard of at the start of the uh, insane toilet paper buying circumstances we had a couple of years ago. They bought a heap of toilet paper themselves, maybe contributed to the panic, wrapped up rolls of toilet paper and included a Bible verse in each of these packets of toilet paper they dropped off, one, one roll of toilet paper per household. Got the gospel out there. There's ways we can do this. It doesn't always look the same way. We're different people. We're not carbon copies of one another. God's given us gifts and abilities and we should get the gospel out there. Maybe it's dropping a tract off. Maybe it's talking to people. It can be consistency between words and actions for the Christian. John MacArthur actually says that in the times in which we live, finding people who actually open the Bible is a very unlikely thing to do. So for a lot of people today, the only Bible they'll ever read is... A Christian. Now we should try and point people to God's word, but that's the reality of our witness in the world. We have a job to do. We have a light to shine. We have a seed to sow. But that can get us in trouble. And it can get us in trouble because sometimes we take the entire burden of the growth process and the responsiveness process onto ourselves. We can think, and I've thought this, that person has come to faith in Christ. What an amazing job I did sharing the gospel. I love the way I was actually able to do what I don't normally do and connect the dots from A to B to C all the way down the alphabet. Because I did that, that person's a Christian. At the other end of the scale, that weight and burden and sometimes blame we place upon ourselves when somebody just refuses to hear and believe the gospel. That person is not saved because I did a bad job. 
Maybe they saw something in my life that made them go, I want nothing to do with that. Maybe I wasn't clear. Maybe I wasn't concise. My efforts got in the way. I think this parable is beautiful for this because it reminds us of our responsibility to sow the seed, to share the gospel. But as brief as it is, it works to both humble us in our times of pride and to comfort us in our times of blaming ourselves. We can never take responsibility for a soul being saved. Neither can we take responsibility for the hardness of other people's hearts in rejecting the gospel. Looking at this parable, God does the growing. There is a person who is responsible for scattering the seed, but that person is not responsible for the growth. God is. So when we share the gospel, don't make it about us. Don't make it about yourself. And for Callum, don't make it about you. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about his glory. It's about his kingdom growing. It's about people seeing the light, people understanding things that were otherwise hidden to them. It's about people having the joy of the gospel take root in their heart and shape them for an eternity because of that. And it's the work of the Spirit who does that final thing. But again, just because we aren't the ones who actually bring about the growth doesn't mean that we are inactive. Some people would take this and say, well, if God does the growing, then as Christians we should just pray, remove ourselves, cluster ourselves away from the world, we'll live in walled towers, we'll become monks, have monasteries, that'll be great. I don't know why you'd think that would be great, but some people think it is. It sounds boring. I like to get out and about more than to live in a walled community. God sovereignly does the work, but he has called us to scatter the seeds. And then at the end, he calls us to harvest the growth. Are we prepared and committed to welcome new Christians into the church? To stand alongside them? To love them? To answer questions? To rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep in all the ups and downs that we go through. We are there alongside them in the field, continuing the work that God right now is teaching us to do in these parables. And finally, we see the parable of the mustard seed. And once more, this this should be a comfort to us. As I said before, we read Psalm 24 earlier in the worship service. It sometimes feels like we are just outnumbered. May feel as if we're outmanned, that we're outgunned, that we are part of something small. And looking around, whether that be in this church building here, whether it be pulling up the statistics of how many people actually claim to even be a Christian today, compared to those who have no faith in God, the numbers don't necessarily look good. The numbers of people in a church on Sunday seem to pale in comparison to the people who are off at the footy or the pub. We should remember the mustard seed. Incredibly small seed. And it grows. It's this beautiful, wonderful image. As two of the kids said in the kids' talk, sometimes gardening, it can take a while to see it really happen takes a while to see the growth. 
But in this parable, Jesus tells us a small seed growing, a small seed branching out, that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. See, this is a picture of the church because God's, the church, God's kingdom, isn't just the people who are here right now, alive on earth today. Everyone who has believed since the creation of the world is part of this. It starts out small. Think about God's promise to Abram. A 90-year-old man and his wife. And from you, I'm going to make a great nation. That's just not going to happen. I'm 90 years old, my wife's 80, but look what God did. Consider how many people have believed in God. How many people are part of that? Think of the book of Hebrews where we read, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. How many people since Adam and Eve are saved and part of that tree? Think about how people from all languages and tribes and tongues belong to that kingdom. And that tree, that is a safe place for God's people. We are part of something bigger than us. Maybe we do feel overawed by how much of the world doesn't know God. Perhaps we feel overawed when we go, okay, we've got to sow the field, but the field's huge. The field's massive. Maybe I don't have enough within me. We aren't alone. Maybe we are discouraged by slow growth, and sometimes we we really are discouraged by that. Maybe we think we're just not enough. This parable speaks to our hearts because we are safe in this kingdom. We do have a big job to do. But we do that big job as part of a big kingdom with an eternal king. So don't let discouragement lead you into inactivity, but keep working hard for God's glory. Work hard so that people might see the light of Christ shine undimmed through us. Work hard to scatter the seed in every single place that we can, trusting God's promise that his word will never return empty and void. After all that, we see in verse 33 and 34 that Jesus still had to explain the parable, all these things to his disciples. Sometimes people still won't understand. But I love the way that Mark has put those verses there rather than verses 1 and 2 of this chapter. Because we've seen the job. We've seen the growth. We see how good it is to shine a light. We see, yes, there will be some who reject There will be some who accept only for a short time because they haven't truly believed. There will be discouragements of many kinds. uh, There will be storms that we weather, the heat and the sun beat down on some of those seeds we looked at last week and they didn't thrive, they didn't survive. Some people won't understand. The Apostle Paul himself a man very learned, 
when he wrote to the Corinthians, said it's folly to some, it's a stumbling block to others. This message that we hold out won't be received by everyone, but that should not discourage us because we see we have a God who brings growth. We see a God who holds his people close to himself, a God who has provided a safe place for all of his children. So where does that leave us? It does leave us with that sense of reality about the hardness of many hearts in the world. It also leaves us amazed, blown away, that we would be chosen by God to be his people. That we are the soil in which the seed grew. So we should never make any of this about us. Whether we are sharing the gospel, whether we are reading scripture, always ask the Holy Spirit to teach us, just as Jesus taught the disciples. God is still with us. God is still working in us. God is still working through us. God's sovereign will is still being done here on earth today. Jesus tells us that promise in John's gospel, I am building my kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against me. Every time we see someone come to faith in Christ, we should be encouraged that God is working, that God is active, that those seeds that are planted are growing. As daunting as it may be, we are not alone. We do have each other. We have God's word and we have God himself to teach us and to guide us in these things every single day of our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. There is so much in here, in each of these parables that we simply didn't touch on today. And the things that we touched on we could have dived so much further into. Yet we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you speak to us. We thank you for the things that you have taught us and we pray that we would do what you ask us to do in verse 24, to take heed to what we hear. We pray that we would be attentive to your word and we pray, O oh God, that the Holy Spirit would work in us to grant us more and more understanding. Not that we might keep it for ourselves, but that we might share this wonderful news of salvation. And we pray, O oh God, we pray fervently that you would grow the seeds that we plant, that you would save souls and that you would grow your kingdom and use us to do this. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.